and welcome to the LJPC Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Cunningham. This podcast is all about the people who work at and who attend La Jolla Presbyterian Church in La Jolla, California. We live in a beautiful and special community full of amazing people who have lived amazing lives, and I have the pleasure of interviewing some of them on this podcast. Subscribe to the LJPC Conversations podcast so you can hear their stories. Today, I have in the studio Keith and Bettina Peterson. Hi, and welcome. Hello, Shannon. Hi, Shannon. So glad to have you guys. (laughs) All right, Keith, let's start with you. What do you do here at the church? My official title is Director of Choral Ministries, which means I get to work in the worship and arts area of the church. My primary responsibility is directing the chancel choir on their weekly Sunday morning offerings in church and the special programs that we offer. But I also oversee the programs that we have for children as well. Okay. Okay. And how long have you been here at the church? I'm finishing up my 17th year. Oh, my goodness. Has it gone fast? Uh, It has. It has, but it's been a lot of fun. (laughs) And it's fun to look back over the series of concerts that we've done over the years and the little mile markers in my relationship with the choir. And many of the choir members have been here, some of them three times longer than I have. That's amazing. And so we've shared a lot of uh, projects together, and yeah. uh, I find that very exciting still. Special, special. Very so much tell so. us a little bit about your employment history, you know, where, you, you know, kind of where God has led you sure. um, in your career and how you ended up here at La Jolla Press. Well, I started, uh, my, my father was a Nazarene pastor and went to seminary in Kansas City, so I've been involved in the church, uh, specifically the Nazarene church, all my life. Growing up, I was involved in music in high school and also the community band and knew by the time I graduated from high school I wanted to be a university choir director. But I'd also played uh, trumpet for 10 years and enjoyed instrumental music as well. Went off to college, first at Canadian Nazarene College in Winnipeg, Manitoba, the coldest winter of my life, (laughs) (laughs) and then moved to uh, Idaho where my parents had gone to school and where I actually had my first birthday, Northwest Mm -hmm. Nazarene College, now University in Nampa, Idaho. Mm -hmm. And my first year there in choir, I met a soprano who I enjoyed singing with and conversing with. And over the years, Bettina and I got us to know uh, each other a little bit better. She was from Arizona, and she'll tell you about that, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and then when I graduated, I went back to Alberta to teach high school choir, band, and uh, English in my own high school that I graduated from. And was there for six years. After the first year, Bettina and I married, and she came to Canada with me, and we lived there for five years. She taught as well. And then we went to Philadelphia. We both got master's degrees at Temple University. And then we moved to University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, where we both got our doctorates. Uh, she was hers in English literature and mine in choral conducting. Mm-hmm. She got the first job in Los Angeles in 1997, so we moved to Southern California. She was teaching at Cal State Northridge. And she taught there for three years, and after the first year... Um, I found out there was a job here at Point Loma Nazarene University in San Diego. And uh, so I applied for the job and was offered it. So we moved to San Diego. And and after two years of Bettina commuting up to L.A., um, she got another job at Point Loma Nazarene University. So we've been working together for the last about 17 years. Perfect. Um, yeah, about actually 19 years. Yeah, yeah 19. longer. Mm-hmm. It is a little longer than that. 
so after about two or three years of that, um, we'd been doing, going to different churches around town. I'd been an interim choir director at one of the Nazarene churches that was in, in an in-between situation. And then um, Dan Nelson, my band colleague, had been asked by La Jolla Press to step in as an intern or as an interim uh, choir director at LJPC. And he had a conflict with his Christmas program, so he asked if I would conduct Box Magnificat, one of my favorite <laughs> pieces that he had chosen to Mind do. Oh. Yeah, and so I came up here and did an in little stint with them for a couple of months working on that special concert. And then he, um, uh, then after that, the full time position was opened up, and so I applied for it. And the spring of uh, about June of two thousand, I think it was two thousand and one was when I started. Perfect. So does that make it 18 years? Yeah, it's longer than 17 wow. years. So it's 18 oh, years now. Yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. that's amazing. And your title at, at um, Point Loma? I'm a professor of music. Okay. Uh, my primary responsibility is directing three or four choirs there. I have mm-hmm. a chamber choir, and then I have two vocal jazz groups, mm-hmm. and then I have the big master chorale with orchestra. We get to do the major works, kind of like we do here mm-hmm. at the church as well. And I teach some music history, some intro to music for our music, uh, I mean, our general education students. I've also taught conducting. And then I have a funds course for our seniors called Faith, Life, and Music, where we try to wrap up everything they've done and give them a chance to figure out what it's going to be like when they get out into the quote-unquote real world. Right, yeah. Nice. So I do that every spring. Very cool, mm-hmm. very cool. Well, Bettina, you are quite the talented musician yourself. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And so uh, tell us a little bit about your musical background and about your career as well. Music has always been an avocation for me, but it's been part of my life forever. Um, and curiously enough, my dad used to lead the hymn singing in church when I was a very little girl living in Idaho. So it's always been uh, a big part of our lives. And I sang in choral uh, groups all through school. I think I did my very first solo in fifth grade, and I sang the hymn, The Old Rugged Cross Aww, for church or something so something like that. Too bad we didn't have cell phones. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a great recording. <laughs> but I sang in choirs in high school and in all through college and uh, didn't really start studying voice lessons until I got married. Um, and through a mutual friend of uh, Keith's uh, and mine, I got connected with her and studied some voice in Canada. And then when we left Canada to go to graduate school in Philadelphia, that's sort of when I discovered the church musician circuit. And it was a wonderful blessing because it brought in some needed revenue during the graduate school year. So I did solo work and section work um, all through graduate school, through my master's program in Philadelphia, and through my doctoral program in uh, Illinois. In Philadelphia, you were at a Presbyterian church, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, I was. Wincote Presbyterian, mm-hmm. Presbyterian Church for two years. And then in Illinois, I was mostly at the Methodist Church um, nearby. But I also sang in all of Keith's um, recitals and did solo work on some of them uh, through his master's and his doctoral mm-hmm. work. But that was always on the side for me, and it was something that we did together, which was really wonderful. My primary area of study was English literature. So I did my master's in English literature. It was kind of a more of a generalist degree. And then uh, that was at Temple University, two-year program. And then I went to the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign with Keith mm-hmm. and did my doctorate in 
English literature, specializing in women writers, feminist theory, and Victorian literature. But I actually ended up writing my dissertation on Canadian women writers because I wanted to do something a, a little different. Um, and the woman that was directing my dissertation sort of wrote the, the textbook on American women writers, um, published a lot, and was a very well-known scholar. And she just recently passed away last summer. But I kind of wanted to do with Canadian literature of the early um, post-Confederation period in Canada uh, what she had done with American literature. So that's what I did my dissertation on. And um, But my great love was British literature, so I did my exams on British literature. And then I got a wonderful job um, very, very early on. Um, I had finished, I was in the process of finishing my dissertation in my last year of funding at the University of Illinois in 96-97. And I sent out over 100 cover letters with um, applications, and I got a few dossier requests, and I got one in-person interview at the Modern Language Association convention, which was how they used to do all the hiring in English positions in the United States. So we drove from... Illinois out to Maryland where my younger sister was stayed with her over Christmas and I had my interview and they called me about the second first or second week of January and told me I had the job which was stunning because the market was incredibly competitive Hmm. and I was the very first person in the department that year to get a job and one of my faculty mentors said to me Now it's your job to dress up and walk up and down the halls and give all the other students hope. (laughs) But um, God's hand was really in it because when I called my director to tell her I'd gotten the job, she kind of stuttered on the phone and said, "Uh, uh, Bettina, uh, this isn't what I had expected for you. And all my friends said, well, what did she expect? Um, But anyway, I told her, well, it's my David and Goliath story. And she was not a believer, but she said, well, Bettina, somebody has to beat the odds. It might as well be you. So we packed up and moved to California because the job and and the job was really kind of unheard of. Mm. Now that I've been in higher ed for 20 years, 20 plus years, um, I'm just kind of stunned at the job that I got. Um, It was a really unique combination of all of my previous experience, my years teaching public school in Idaho and Canada, my uh, graduate studies, my Ph.D., um, and my experience working with kind of novice teachers. So I was overseeing the credential program in the English department at Cal State Northridge, the teaching credential. And then I was also teaching graduate students, so I got to teach a seminar on the Brontes, which was heaven. (laughs) And the really amazing thing was they hired me for a reduced load for three years, Mm. which is just unheard of. And the reason that was so divinely appointed is that the very first year we were in Northridge was the year Keith interviewed for the job here in San Diego and got the job in March And so we knew in the summer that we would be moving to San Diego, but I had no intention of giving up my job Mm -hmm. because it was an excellent tenure-track job. 
So we moved, and I commuted by train for two years. And I would take the train. Keith drove me up to the train at Oceanside Tuesday mornings to catch the 6.30 train. Truth be told, Bettina would drive up, and I would sleep. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got the train to... uh, L.A. Union Station, changed trains, took the train out to Northridge, and then took the shuttle to my office. So it was four hours door-to-door. And the first year I did that, I was pregnant with our second son. The second year I did that, I left Soren and Kai with Keith and commuted with my breast pump so I could keep nursing because I was very committed to nursing. And it was in that uh, year, in December, that I got hired uh, at Point Loma. So I knew that I was going to be able to stop doing that commute. Mm -hmm. And that was my third year of a reduced load. Uh. So it was only the fact that I had a reduced load that enabled me really to do that kind of a commute and be away from my family Mm -hmm. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday Mm -hmm. each week. So I was very happy to quit that. So you were living in Northridge? No, I lived on campus for the first semester and then for the next three semesters, I had a friend, a colleague in the music department who had a room in her house. So she'd drive me home and take me, drive me to work. And I didn't have a car. So, wow. Yeah, it, it was – I made it work. You wow. do what you have to do. Yeah. So, And then I got hired at Point Loma where I teach women writers, British Victorian literature, romantic literature, mm-hmm. sometimes composition, introduction to the study of literature, feminist theory. So keeps me busy. Yes. And she was department chair there for uh, three-year rotation. Three years. That's how mm-hmm. they do it at their department. And mm-hmm. that was about five or six years ago. Five years, yeah. And you're so. an author. Yes, I have two books with my co-partner, Allison Jewell, who's an academic in Canada at Trinity Western University. And our first book was Being Feminist, Being Christian, mm-hmm. Essays from Academia. Mm-hmm. And the second book is Facing Challenges, Feminism in Christian Higher Education and Other Places. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the middle of a manuscript on a book right now, uh, which I think will be Feminism, Christianity, and Me. Exciting. Yes. I hope I can finish the manuscript. (laughs) (laughs) It's very hard to do that when uh, I'm teaching full-time at the same time. So. And you just had a sabbatical. Had a sabbatical this past fall, which was wonderful. I stayed at home and sat at my kitchen table for three months and wrote. Nice. So that was wonderful. That's good. That's a gift. <laughs> Stayed in your PJs. Uh, <laughs> I don't write well in my PJs. I'm not, I'm not a PJs person, but it was really nice to have the space and time mentally to just clear the decks and focus just on my writing. Yes. Very nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention... Um, along with my academic conducting career, mm-hmm. actually where I had worked and as a church choir director, which oh. is directly related to what I do here. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking as you were talking, Bettina, that I had worked as a, a director in, of music at my own church, my home church mm-hmm. in uh, Alberta. And then I sang for a year with the same choir. You were in the Presbyterian, yep, the Presbyterian church, church in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. When we were in, in Illinois, I spent a year as a Lutheran choir director mm-hmm. at a Lutheran church. And then went to Disciples of Christ mm-hmm. Church for three mm-hmm. years. <laughs> we went, love them all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when we got to LA. Los Angeles, I spent a year at an Episcopal, Episcopal Church. Church. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. then it was. Now, what's your favorite, Keith? That's Come my on. favorite. 
Um, it's always the one I'm doing right now. That's right. Um, but, but you know the wonderful thing about that for me, and I think probably for both of us, but I'll speak for myself, is growing up in the Nazarene church, just like anyone, you grow up in a church and that's your whole sure. world. But music gave me an ecumenical experience. Definitely. And it has helped to really solidify my my deep feeling and belief that God is bigger than all my ideas about God. Amen. And worshiping with so many different people in so many different traditions um, has been a, a rich blessing in my life. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget my very, very first time I went to Canterbury Cathedral in England and stood out in the narthex and saw this little plaque on the wall that said, there has been continuous Christian worship on this site for 1,300 years. And something, yeah, just clicked in my mind and heart to think that, you know, I'm just a tiny little part of this enormous stream of God's working Mm -hmm. in human history. So I I treasure that ecumenical experience Mm -hmm. uh, because I think it's made me a more empathetic and Mm -hmm. open kind of Christian than I would have been otherwise. And I'd certainly agree, uh, both from a spiritual point of view and then also from a musical practices, and that's mm-hmm. because that's my career, mm-hmm. to be able to understand Lutheran worship from the inside out. Right. Excuse me. No problem. Because I've done that. And uh, the Disciples of Christ, I had no idea what this denomination was about, so I had a chance to learn about that. Yes. Then the Episcopal Church, which has a really rich... Uh, choral history and tradition mm-hmm. that goes back to the time of King Henry VIII mm-hmm. and to explore that and, and, and uh, Episcopal chant. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. It's one thing to study mm-hmm. it as a graduate mm-hmm. program. Mm-hmm. It's another thing to just see it in practice mm-hmm. as, a, as a living, vibrant part of people's mm-hmm. faith tradition. Um, and then, of course, to be able to come here to La Jolla Prez where choral music has always been such a treasured and valued part of their worship mm-hmm. ministry and then to be able to conduct some of the music that I've studied as an academic mm-hmm. and then to use it, however, as part of an active expression of my faith and worship um, has been a real privilege and a real joy, um, which is one of the ways that the ministry here at La Jolla Press has been certainly as much to me as anything I feel like I've given to other people. Mm-hmm. And I would certainly echo that from my own personal point of view, it was such a gift for me to be able to sing the way I was able to sing at La Jolla Press yes. for those years. And for us, oh. I think both of you have been such an incredible oh. gift. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, it's, it was a great, great joy for me to be able to do that solo work and mm-hmm. sing some of those amazing pieces that I love, like mm-hmm. the Brahms Requiem Movement Number no. 5 and the Bach Magnificat and Mozart Requiem and it was just a great blessing in my life, mm-hmm. and the church was such a big part of that, so welcoming and affirming and encouraging, and, of course, Keith letting me do it and serve in that way, so I'm very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yes, so well, we're so thankful. And much like I'm sure you, you understand the whole um, partnership aspect mm-hmm. of couples who work for the church, mm-hmm. um, for Bettina and I to be able to share in that music ministry for those years was very rewarding for Special. me and uh, something that drew us together that we could yoke ourselves together and pull in the same direction and feel like we were supporting the ministry of the church but also it supported our marriage and our right. relationship with each other mm-hmm. and 
was always a thrill to be able to conduct my spouse when she was singing solos. <laughs> I always knew when was she was fun. singing I was in good hands. <laughs> that's right. You can trust each other. Uh, yeah, that's right. lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't you guys tell us a little bit more about yourselves, where you grew up, where you live now, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit about your family, your kids, whatever else you guys want to share. Well, I grew up in Idaho, actually. Half my life was there and the other half in Arizona. I was nine when we moved to Arizona, to Phoenix, and I was 18 when I left Arizona to go back to Idaho to go to college. So, And that's where we met, was at Northwest Nazarene College. And I went there thinking I was going to be a medical missionary to Africa and become a doctor, and God had other plans. So I ended up as a doctor, but a doctor of literature instead. (laughs) Um, So I spent half my childhood in Idaho and half in Arizona, and that was a big culture shock when we moved to Arizona. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, we married in 1984, so we're coming up on 35 years Mm -hmm. of marriage this July. Congratulations. Thank you. And we were married long enough that people thought we weren't going to have children because it was almost 10 years before we had our first son. (laughs) And Kai was born in our doctoral program. So he was born 12 days after I finished my doctoral exams. Wow. And that was quite a a fall for us. Yeah. And then it was three and a half years uh, with him growing up and trying to write two dissertations before we finished. And then he was born in Illinois, and then we moved to California, and um, I got pregnant that fall, and then we moved to San Diego, and Soren was born that summer. So he is a native Californian, a native San Diegan. He's never lived anywhere than our little four-bedroom house on Keisha Terrace in Mira Mesa, and... uh, When we did go on sabbatical, we took the family on sabbatical in 2007 in the fall, and we lived in in England. And at Halloween, Soren got very homesick. He he was really missing uh, being in America and dressing up for Halloween, and I was trying to console him and um, had walked him to school, and they dressed up on that day too and tried to make it kind of special and then picked him up and took him out for a sandwich and we were talking about this, and he said, when I go home, and he sort of slammed his fists on his legs, he says, when I go home, I'm going home for the rest of my life. How old were they when you guys lived there? He was in third grade when he when said that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Kai was in eighth grade. Yeah. So they're five and a half years apart. And, and, and did Kai come home with an accent? Do I remember that? Soren more oh, than Kai. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, we'd take him to school in the morning, and he'd sound like an American. And we'd pick oh, him up from gosh. school in the afternoon, and he'd sound like a Brit. That. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> so we've lived in our house in Mira Mesa now, the longest we've ever lived anywhere. Wow. It's, it's been, it'll be 21 years this August. Hmm. So. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was born and raised in a, well, I was born in a small town called Innisfail. My dad was a Nazarene, I'm not sure it was a Nazarene church. He was a country church pastor mm-hmm. in a district called Oklahoma, about 12 miles really? west of this small rural town in Alberta. Huh. Oklahoma and in Canada. They, yeah, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but when they were born, when I was born, they took me home to a house that didn't have running water. Oh, my goodness. Um, and didn't have um, electricity. So this was a 1960. That was a Canadian thing. Yeah. Which is the, I always had running water and electricity. <laughs> she she lived in civilization. 
But uh, Alberta was the last place uh, to get settled in North America, and so it was the last place to get electricity. And wow. um, uh, Then uh, we moved to uh, Idaho, where I had my first birthday when my dad was going to Northwest Nazarene University, and then Kansas City, where he spent three years in doing seminary work. Then we moved back to Calgary, Alberta in 1966, so my first grade year and second grade year, my dad was a pastor there. Then he moved to Olds, Uh, we went with him, to a town about 60 miles north, Uh, and uh, he was, uh, again, a country town. Um, He built a church there, and we were involved in the life of the community there for three years. And then he dabbled in politics and got all excited about that. He ran at the provincial level and lost, so he said, why don't I run for the federal level? <laughs> and we moved to Red Deer, where he uh, was running for the conservative party there, and uh, anybody who wins that nomination gets elected. And it's been that way for 80 years and probably will continue to be for a while. <laughs> but he uh, he came in second to somebody who'd been there a lot longer, so... I came that close to having my dad be an MP. Oh, my goodness. And living in Toronto. Uh, or Ottawa. Or Ottawa, yeah, yeah, that's right. So we uh, actually then spent the rest of the, my growing up years in Red Deer, which at that time was the fourth largest city uh, in Alberta. When I left Olds, I was all excited going to big city, the fourth largest city in Alberta, and the population was 27,000 people. The big city. When we married and I moved there, there were no McDonald's in town, oh. just to give you an idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the first to go in. Yeah. And then in Walmart. And yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's still the fourth largest city in the province, but it's 100,000 people now. Mm-hmm. But um, I had uh, great experiences in junior high school and also my high school years there and was involved in community bands mm-hmm. and my church very heavily, youth groups, uh, Bible quizzing, mm-hmm. and uh, also uh, swimming on, a, on, a, on this community swim team. Mm-hmm. That was my athletic outlet. And then when I graduated, as I said, I went to uh, Canadian Nazarene College in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And we had a wonderful fall. And about middle of October, we had snow. And I didn't see the ground again until the week of graduation, <laughs> the end of April. Needless to say, he, he likes the San Diego weather now. <laughs> well, and this is, this is absolute truth. I can remember thinking my goal is to be a choir director. And if I want to be a choir director, I'd like to be a choir director at a university. Yes. And if I'm going to be at a university, why not a Nazarene school, which mm-hmm. is my tradition and background? And I'd heard there was a Nazarene university on the beaches of San Diego, California. <laughs> well, when, when you're when you're raised in Alberta, the prairies of Alberta, not far from the Canadian Rockies, and you see snow a lot uh, during the year. San Diego palm trees and beaches. That's that describes uh, paradise. Yes. <laughs> And I can remember jokingly saying, well, Lord, if you want me to suffer for Jesus on the beaches of San Diego, California, here I am, send me. <laughs> More tongue-in-cheekly than anything else. Mm. And 15, 20 years later, that's, right. that's exactly what happened. So we've been suffering for Jesus on yeah, the beaches yes, of Point Loma for many years. That's how I got here. I love that. I love that. So we know that you've been married almost 35 years and you met in college, mm-hmm. but, you know, kind of tell us who was the first one to make the first move? When you saw each other, did you just know? Is, uh, there, is there a story there? How did you guys end up together? Well, there are lots of stories, and they're very different depending on whether he tells them or whether <laughs> I tell them. I think That's they're better fast. when I tell them. 
Okay. You guys just tell it together. <coughs> Have an argument. We met. Here. No we problem. met in choir. Um, you want to tell? Start, and then well, I can tell I'll the start. truth. I'll start. I'll <laughs> start. We met in choir, and um, I think pretty early on, I thought very highly of Keith, but I also had this thought in the back of my mind that I, because he wore an overcoat, that um, there were a few guys that at campus that year that wore overcoats and I thought I think I could marry him or someone like him because of the overcoat because of the overcoat why, why? <laughs> you know I guess it was Gina. just just a, a, a look about him I guess you and know, then he looked like a British uh, <laughs> probably <monarch. laughs> probably and also a little bit like my dad because oh, my dad was a businessman a hospital administrator and always dressed really really well and his whole life had been changed by World War II and the GI Bill. And so he always wore an overcoat and a hat. You know, in those days, yeah. that's how professional men dressed. Sure. Anyway, um, but I always had this thought in the back of my mind that I could marry him or someone like him. Mm. And in 1980, I went for two months to Belize on a summer mission. And I brought home with me 100 Belizean pennies. And in 1981, before we were leaving for a choir tour, I went up to Keith and I gave him one of these pennies. And I said, remind me to tell you something someday. And what I was going to tell him was that, you know, I thought I could marry you or someone like you. But we went out for a couple of disastrous dates and they were entirely my fault. Um, My senior year, I think it was in college. Never forget it. And uh, <laughs> then on, I graduated a year before he did because he'd had that extra year in Canada. So he ended up five years instead of four. So I graduated a year before he did. And on graduation day, Sunday, um, he came up to me and gave me a side hug and kissed me on the top of the head. And right, I mean, I can still sort of feel it on the top of my head. And he, so you know, was just congratulating me, and I thought at that moment, well, maybe I was wrong, because I thought, you know, we're going to go our separate ways. I'm never going to see him again. And he gave a side hug. And he gave me a side <laughs> hug, and well, and he, I wouldn't have expected anything else. Um, so anyway, I went uh, home to no, I went to Africa. I'm sorry, I went to Africa on a singing tour for eight weeks. Africa, Zimbab- uh, South Africa, Zimbabwe, Swaziland, and Spain. And then I came home, and the day after I got home, I got a call from Northwest Nazarene University saying they had a couple of job interviews for teaching jobs lined up for me in Idaho. So I went up to Idaho. I interviewed at those two jobs. I got hired at one of them, so I was moving back to Idaho. And... Um, Keith was there uh, for his last year in college, and that was the year that we started dating seriously. Hmm. And the first thing we did was go to a friend's wedding on an October Sunday, Saturday afternoon, and I caught the bouquet. Oh, And uh, then I was watching um, this 13-week series, PBS, adaptation of an R.F. Delderfield novel called To Serve Them All My Days. And it came on every Sunday night. And so I invited him to come over and watch it with me because I thought, well, for 13 weeks, I'll at least oh, have cute. his companionship yeah. for, you know, one night a week. And that's kind of how it all got started. Hmm. So I'll let you tell your yeah. version now. Yeah, I, we, we have to hear about the horrible days. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember meeting Bettina in, uh, uh, as a sophomore in choir. And she was always one of the best singers in the, mm. in the, in the program, a beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but I was most impressed with her intellect. Mm. She was always been she's always been one of the smartest people I've ever right. known, yes. and very driven, uh, hardworking, disciplined, curious mind. Um, and we could talk about spiritual things. We could talk about relational things. We could talk about politics. We could talk about all you know literature, history. We shared a lot of those same interests, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Probably the first time I'd met a, a, a female my age who was that interested in some of the things I was also interested in. And, of course, she was a beautiful singer. So um, as I'm looking around my first year at this new school, thinking, who might I want to take out? I thought, well, I think I'm going to ask Bettina if she'll go out on a date. So we were going to go to a concert that the university was sponsoring, a classical concert. concert and I figured I want to show her I'm a classy kind of guy, yes. so I'll take her to a you know, classical music concert. And you wore and, your overcoat. And <laughs> And he was a classy guy. <laughs> so um, I still remember I was the, the men's dorm was on one side, and then there was a big uh, uh, park, park, and her dorm was on the other side. Kurt's she was the resident direct, a resident assistant yeah. for the freshman girls' dorm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I walked over and picked her up, and we talked on the way to the concert. And then, of course, in the concert, you, you can't talk mm-hmm. because you're listening to the music. And so we listened, and and then on the way out, it was pretty early still in the evening, and so. The next step is you invite her to go someplace to share, a, you know, either a meal or get coffee or something. I said, "Would you like to go somewhere and get something to eat?" And Just she, to the coffee shop, you well, know, on she, campus. She looked at me and she said, "Well," and she looked at her watch. I've got a lot of homework to oh, do this no, weekend. Bettina. And I'm thinking, <laughs> and it, true statement was never made. There was it, no agenda there. She it was. It was. It was before nine o'clock on a Friday night. Bettina. And she had homework to do. And I thought, strike one. Yeah, you went. And then I went, uh, uh, I didn't give up. I said, well, we'll we'll just pop down to the local, you know, cafe here on campus, just down the block, and we can have some hot cider. That was the thing there in Idaho. And I said, we could just go to the Fireside Cafe just for a little bit. And she said, "Mm, okay. Oh, I was back in the game. So we walked down there. I sprung a whole dollar or whatever it was for the hot (laughs) cider, and we sat down and talked. And 20 minutes later, she looked at her watch and said, I really have a lot of homework to do. And I said to myself, okay, you don't have to hit me over the head twice. I can tell. I'm not going to hit a home run every time. So, all right, I'll take this young woman home. And so, I was telling the truth. <laughs> I was telling the truth. There was no agenda there. Oh so God. I walked back thinking, all right, she's very politely telling me what she thinks. And yes, that's okay. Yes. That's okay. And uh, just before we got there, you know, and of course the, the the lobby of the freshman girls' dorm on a Friday night in campus is a very interesting place, Fish particularly bowl. if you're the only guy in it, because um, all the girls who didn't have date were sitting there waiting to find about uh, hear all the stories from the girls who did have dates, <laughs> and it was just a very estrogen-heavy place <laughs> at that spot. So I remember walking towards the door and wanted to clean, you know, leave things nicely. And I said, well, thank you very much for coming. I really enjoyed myself. And she was kind of walking towards the door, and she kind of threw over her shoulder at the last moment as the door was swinging shut. So did I. We should do this again sometime. <laughs> and that was the only time I had any indication that, that she was interested. She was any interest of continuous. And I was so stunned. I went, uh, Yeah. And then the door closed. 
And then I went, are you kidding me? This is the most sophisticated you can be is with this intelligent valedictorian woman is, uh, yeah. And I wanted to run after the, you know, open the door and say, what I meant to say was, I'd really like to do that. But all I could see through the door was all these freshman girls. And I just didn't have the courage to do that. So I remember turning around and walking across the park, kicking myself. Oh, yeah. Is that all you could do? Oh, can't believe this. So we kind of dated off and on, and then I found out that she was dating a guy next to my, the guy in the room next to me. Oh, a mutual no. friend, actually. Yeah, sang in choir. Oh, she yeah. fell for another choir guy. Oh, no. So, okay. And Tina. That was Goodness. a year of Bad that. Bad choice. The year of that. So the next year, um, then that relationship got pretty serious. Yeah. Uh, but it ended up not working out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the spring of my junior year, okay, two things happened. One is um, I really fell into a hard crush on with Bettina. Before it was just I'm interested in this person. Mm-hmm. But I could. it was one of those things where, you know, you walk around the corner and she breezes by and says hello and you can hardly breathe kind oh, of thing. Yeah. It was one of those she kind of things. Poor guy. Wow. It was really, yeah. really strong. But and we worked in the same uh, tutor center. Tutoring together. center. So often we would close up together and walk back oh, to the dorm together. And at that point, I was the guy, the shoulder to cry on. Oh yeah. no! So we'd spend the whole time walking back, and she'd be telling me about these frustrations with this guy, and what does he mean, and why does this happen, and all the rest. And I'd be empathetic, and I'd be listening. Mean the time, I'm thinking, I really care about this girl, but I don't want to be the rebound guy. Right. So I'm not going to reveal my hand at all until I feel that she's kind of over this guy and ready to move on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's the spring while we were getting ready to go to Europe that she comes and she gives me this coin and says, remind me to tell you what this means sometime. And then she turns around and walks away. (laughs) You're like, no. I've I've got all these feelings inside. (laughs) I'm going, what? You can't do this to me. And then – I finally figured she's she's been it's been months and months and months. This is never going to go away. I just have to give it up. And well, and that was the choir tour that we ended up with the two solo tickets all by ourselves in the back of the plane with everybody else in the front yeah, of this, the plane. Yeah, this, this is a great story because we we drove all the way to ca- to Canada to catch the, the cheap flight. And we all carpooled in this, this choir of forty fifty people sang on the way up there. And the week before we left. Um, I had been walking back from another friend's house, and, I, and Bettina called to me from her dorm room up on the third floor or mm-hmm. second floor or whatever and said, Hi, Keith. And I was in the parking lot. We chatted for a little while, kind of a Romeo and Juliet kind of yes, thing. Yes. And then I just said, I'm going to try this again. I said, Would you like to sit together on the plane over to Europe? No. She paused and said, Well, we'll see. Oh, no. So, all right. Okay, I get it. <laughs> and then the night before we left, we were all packing up, and I looked across the way, and there's Bettina in Kirk Bartlow's room helping him pack this is the old boyfriend and i'm thinking oh they're rekindling this thing again i just have to give this up and i had spent time because we both fell in love with oxford reading about oxford the Mm -hmm. book called to serve them all my days which is no no that's the wrong book no it's called uh, a severe mercy a severe mercy by sheldon von Ocken. and highly recommend the book so I thought, this is a couple of weeks before, I said, Bettina, when we get to England, everybody's going to be wanting to go to shows in England. Why don't in you London. and I take, in London, why don't you and I spend the afternoon, the free afternoon we have, and take a train to Oxford? Oh, 
and see this storied university and we'll walk through this just Keith and Bettina some quality time early in the trip and I said I'm there I'm there yeah yeah. that was a a fast yes she said yes you're smooth and I'm thinking okay this is going so great a few days later Keith she says her, my sister Peggy, who's also in the choir, come yes. along the trip. She and her boyfriend want to come with us. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and we're thinking, well, how for so? How, how can I so say bad. no? I can't say no, but yes. not quite what I was looking for. But okay, couple plus couple, still got potential. And then a couple of days later, we're talking about this, and all of a sudden, my friend Bruce comes up to me. And Bruce, lovely guy, lovely guy, but he's the kind of guy who always laughs a little too loud and a little too late. <laughs> Not, not a quick study with the social cues. And, and he said, hey, Keith, can I come? And by that time, I was, well, why not? Anybody who wants to. So the five of us went out to Oxford. And um, and I remember... Um, and we also wanted to find the church yeah, that uh, Sheldon, Sheldon and Davy had gone to in yeah. Oxford, which was St. Ebbs. So we spent a day going through the university and seeing the bookstore. And uh, we were having supper. But I had also seen that uh, they were doing a production of Jesus Christ Superstar in Oxford that night. And, of course, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice, the lyricist for that show, met at Oxford as students. And so I was thinking, really cool to see Jesus Christ Superstar, professional uh, production, in the place where these guys met. And so, hey, everybody, would you like to go see Jesus Christ Superstar? And Bettina was why would I want to do that? Oh. I mean, something. It was that was her reaction. Yes, and let me explain. That was in my far more conservative days. In every way, I was thinking, Jesus Christ, superstar. That's a like. That's just a heretical kind of thing. It, I wouldn't want to see that. Music. And it's rock music. And oh, I love so I was disappointed. No way. I was really excited about that. But I thought, okay, no, I'm here for Bettina. And we had supper, and I remember going to use the restroom, and, and uh, Bruce came with me, and we were in the restroom, and he said, Keith, are you still interested in going to Jesus Christ Superstar? And inside I thought, yes, Bruce, but not with you. <laughs> yes. And I said, no, I think I'll just go back with everybody else. And I remember it was show started at 7.30. It was 20 after 7. We and we were corner, on our way walking, walking to up. find St. Ebbs. Yeah, and I'm fighting with myself. And finally I thought, I've spent too many months just waiting at Bettina's beck and call. I have to go and do something for myself. This is important for me. And I said, Bruce, you still want to go to the show? Sure. And I said to the rest of them, you know where the train station is? We'll see you back in London. And And you turned around and left with (gasps) Bruce. And I thought, what are you doing? We're supposed to be going to find St. Ebbs. I was just stunned. Oh, my goodness. And thought, well, okay then. But I'm going to go find St. Ebbs on my own. And Peggy and Dale came with me, and we found St. Abs and walked around, and it was awesome, but you weren't there. No, I fell asleep in Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> Still jet-lagged. Don't you know it? So then, sorry, long story, but and then we got uh, back to London, and then so and... just everything kind of cooled off after that. Wow. And yep. so then, in my senior year, I can remember going home, and I knew I was coming back for a fifth year, and that summer, I can remember thinking and praying, you know, God... I don't have to be married or have that woman before I leave my university. I don't have to do that. But I'm not sure where I'm going to find more of the kind of young woman I think you want for me than at this Christian school. And I was going through my, who do I know? Who do I know? And I'd asked a couple of girls out 
in the previous year. But and then Bettina and I had a date, and that she was talking about in the spring and of her senior year. And she spent half. The, we went it to a basketball awful. game, and she spent half the time talking to other people it and outside of her fault. seat, and I was by myself. <laughs> it was my fault. Okay, totally responsible. <laughs> So I just kept swinging and missing, it seemed like that. So, But I kept coming back to Bettina. Yeah. Who have I met? Who do I know? The, well, the one that I really keep coming back to is Bettina. Yeah. But I'll never see her again. I got to school that fall, and I saw Peggy, her sister, in the bookstore. She was working in the bookstore. So I'm checking my books out. Hey, what's up with Bettina? She's teaching in Arizona somewhere, a thousand miles away. Yeah. Well, actually, no. She just took a job here in Idaho, Amazing. and she started two weeks ago. And she and I are living together, and uh, you know, two blocks from where I was living. Amazing. From campus. Oh, and I said to myself, and I'm thinking, this is, honestly, I'm thinking, she's on her own. She's away from home, away from college. The first year, first year of teaching is really hard. Yeah. I said I should pop over and say hello to her sometime, just to support her. Yeah. And Peggy goes, Yeah, she'd like that. So I walk out of the. Bookstore going, yeah, she'd like that, would she? (laughs) They're sisters. I wonder if she knows something I don't know. So the next day, I made sure I had a pretext to go back to the bookstore and make sure I stood in Peggy's line and on the way out. So how's Bettina doing? We talked a little bit. I should come and say hello to her sometime. And Peggy goes, goes, yeah, she'd really like that. And I walked out. She'd really like that, would she? <laughs> They've had 24 hours to talk. Oh, I wonder what's going on. So, oh, how cute. <laughs> so a couple of weeks later, it was a Saturday morning, getting ready for this wedding, and I called her up and said, would you like to go to the wedding? Mm-hmm. A mutual friend of ours. She said, sure. And she caught, we walked in and found out later all of our friends were saying, it's about time. Oh, my goodness. And yeah. then she caught the bouquet, and I went, well, that was awkward. And then she invited me to see... To serve, uh, to serve them all my days, mm-hmm. and I went over and enjoyed, of course, because I love these same kind of shows yes, that she yes, does. And yes. then I found out it's a 13-week series, <laughs> and she's said, the only yes. one who has the cable. To- <laughs> so <laughs> I knew what I was going to do for the next yeah. 13 weeks, and as they say, that was uh, all she wrote. Yeah. And it was another while before we just really decided you know, when and how to tie the knot. But right. Yeah. I love it. What a great story. That's yeah, a long yeah. background. What a great story. Yeah. Though. I love it. <laughs> and she was very adventuresome. She was willing to move to Canada where I was t- doing my teaching job. And I knew I needed some experience before I could get my, mm-hmm. my graduate degree. Mm-hmm. And she was just embraced it completely, the whole adventure of moving to another country mm-hmm. away from her family. And well, yeah. My parents were still in Arizona, so it was mostly moving away from my sister. Yes. But um, we both got married in the same summer, believe it or not. She got, they got married in June, and we got married in July. So and then she, the timing was yeah. really good. And she had to, to take three more classes to get certified to teach in Alberta. So we, so we were gave married up on our, a Saturday. Gave up and, our dreams of a long honeymoon in the summertime. And drove uh, by Tuesday night. We were in Lethbridge, Alberta, and she started university on Wednesday. Three and days after we were for married. For our honeymoon, we spent six weeks at the University of Alberta. No, the University of Lethbridge. Yeah. Don't anybody tell me. I don't know how to treat a woman. <laughs> <laughs> so we never really did have a, a proper honeymoon. Yeah. Well, at 35, it's time, right? Yeah. 35 years. We have wonderful plans for the yeah. summer. Okay, yeah, we good. do. Okay, well, we'll hear about that in a minute. But I want you guys to tell us what's going on with your kids because there are some exciting things happening with your boys. Well, Kai graduated from Point Loma in 2016 with a degree in political science. And then he worked uh, 
on a political campaign. He was in charge of the Get Out the Vote campaign mm-hmm. for the Hillary Clinton campaign well, that. that fall. And then <clears throat> after that, he decided that he wanted to pursue his dream that he has had since he was a little boy, really, of being an actor. So that is what he has been doing for the last two and a half, going on three years, mm-hmm. trying to uh, get as much work as he can as an extra, doing some photo shoots and a couple of little bit of modeling things and some commercials and driving a lot back and forth between San Diego and L.A. and then just driving for Postmates like you do when you're trying to make your way as an artist, Um, living at home. And it's been a challenge. And, uh, you know, he's had his ups and downs with it. And it's a long, hard road. It's a hard Mm -hmm. career to to break into. But he's grown some and we've grown some. And we're just kind of taking it a day at a time and trying to be as supportive as we can be and learn together. Yeah, he's had uh, some <coughs> successes and been on set with famous actors. And fun. He once sold a hot dog to Julia Roberts. <laughs> That's so fun. Uh, wasn't allowed to say anything because yes. they'd have to pay him more, but yes. uh, he sold a hot dog to Julia mm-hmm. Roberts. And uh, a week or so ago, I think it was Brad Pitt or somebody like that, uh-huh. was on. A, he was on a movie with it, that, that he was working on. Um, but again, mostly just extra work. But he has had a, a, accumulated enough background work and other projects to um, – he's got a site on the IMDb website. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And he also uh, has been offered by SAG, the Screen Actors Guild, yes. to uh, become a member of the union. Great. So he's just trying to figure out how to – He's making his way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we think, and just putting in time. and. Good. Uh, Inchworm moves, as yeah, Kai would say. Yes. And he was a uh, principal in a commercial that was shot here in San Diego a week or two ago. Last week. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, was doing a movie project with some of the friends that he has in San Diego last Saturday. And so we just kind of, you know, figure out, wait to, to see what, if that yeah. big break ever comes and how yes. long he can hang in there and how long his girlfriend of now six years, years. Long time. Yeah. will yeah. will allow him to hang in there before <laughs> she starts saying, all right, we've got to try a yeah. different plan. And she well, and got her master's at Fuller in marriage and oh, family therapy, oh, so right. she's got her first job getting her hours for licensing right, right now in yeah. L.A., so... Yeah. Yeah, but we're just learning along the along the way because we don't know anything, didn't know anything mm-hmm, about sure. the film industry. and. Well, he's blessed to have such supportive yeah. parents. And his latest photo, his latest headshots are amazing. Oh, yeah. thank they are you. Pretty yes, thank with you. his long yeah. hair and the beard. Yeah. I thought, gosh, too bad Game of Thrones isn't on anymore. He got, yeah, he got but, inspired by Vikings, <laughs> yeah. I think it was. Well, and so, it, you know, I could just see him, a casting yeah. director, seeing those and just plugging him right yeah. into something like he that. He has a know. secret desire to play a young Robert Baratheon if they ever do a... I don't know. Follow up. Follow up prequel for Game of Thrones, mm. which has now ended. But yeah. Uh, so yeah. And Soren, our youngest, who we thought wasn't going to be the musician because Kai was the one who could match pitch before yes. he was a year old and huh. we really thought would be the, the natural musician. Um, Soren didn't take to it quite so naturally. naturally, but he's the one who has fallen in love with it and he's uh, doing a double major at Point Loma he's in his second year just finished his second Mm -hmm. year doing a double major in music and in psychology Mm -hmm. and has started studying voice and really enjoyed that been able to do solo work in the Messiah 
He's a bass. Mm -hmm. So that's been wonderful for Keith to have Soren do that solo work for him in Messiah. And then just about a month and a half ago, he had this wonderful opportunity of being in an opera program in Italy kind of fall into his lap. And we had been talking to him about summer opportunities. You know, would you ever be interested in doing an opera program in in Europe sometime Mm -hmm. in the summer? And he said, yeah. And then about the next week, this opportunity uh, presented itself. Mm -hmm. And his voice teacher, Michael Sokol at Point Loma, has a friend who's connected with this program, which is called the International Lyric Academy in Vicenza, Italy. And they had already done their auditions, and they were still looking for singers. And so Rebecca Steinke uh, approached Michael and said, do you know of anybody? And he said, well, what are you looking for? Well, we're looking for the lead in Don Giovanni. We need a Don Giovanni. And Michael said, well, I think I, I have somebody who could audition for that. And um, so he he had a re- had a video recording of Soren having a private lesson with Stephen Powell, who had been in town to sing the role of Rigoletto for the San Diego Opera, mm. and had come to Point Loma to do master class and had actually done uh, an hour lesson with Soren. So Michael sent that recording off to Rebecca. And they listened to it and said, yeah, he'll do. No. So, yeah, so Soren got the lead of Don Giovanni in Mozart's <laughs> Don Giovanni, and he's singing that opera at the end of July in so Vicenza, exciting. Italy. Which is about 40 miles outside of, Vien- of Venice. Venice. Oh, how so exciting. We're just, and you're going. Well, we, we thought, are. We're as soon stunned, as we thought this we're... opportunity came <laughs> along, I looked at Bettina and said, you know, if our son is singing, actually singing, it didn't really hit me because I kept thinking, yes, yeah, son, you need to do this. It would be good for you. And then I thought, wait, if our son is singing Don Giovanni in Italy, I think we have a moral obligation as parents to support him in the front row. And one of my friends or colleagues at work said, I think this is the kind of thing where you sell your car or, you know, whatever you need to do uh, to get there. How long is the run? Just two nights. nights. Oh, just two nights. Yeah. So and the program, nights. Yeah, yeah, and the program is three weeks. So he was already going to be in uh, Europe for a study abroad course with Point Loma. Oh. So he left on the 17th of May for that three-week course. He's in Venice right now. He's in Venice right now. And then we had already committed to going to a family reunion in Denmark. So we'll meet him in oh, Denmark. Perfect. And then when we come home from Denmark and England... Um, he'll go to his Austrian host family from high school for a week before he goes to Vicenza. Oh, so, I mean, yeah, yeah, what a summer. And who knew? <laughs> it kind of all fell yeah, together. just quite <laughs> oh, stunning. So fun to watch them spread their wings. It mm-hmm. really is. It's, it is. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So we'll, for the 35th anniversary, we'll spend time traveling yes. through Europe and spending a lot of time with family. And yes. Bettina's sister will come to Italy with us, good. younger sister. Oh, good. And I'm so glad. Older brother and brother's girlfriend will come as well. Fun. So we'll all be there to support him. Fun. Yeah. That'll be wonderful. Oh, yeah. exciting. Not quite sure what the, where that will lead. They do say that they have uh, opera uh, agents who come to this program to watch. But he's still only a sophomore. He's been studying voice for less than two years. Yes. and. And still loves psychology, so I told him, what's the worst that happens? You get this role, and you'll be a psychologist who's had a chance to sing Don Giovanni in Italy. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, what a fabulous opportunity. Well, guys, just a few more questions before we close. And I just kind of like to ask a few, you know, light questions that sure. are, you know, 
just more to get to know you guys better. So, um, what do you enjoy doing on your day off? Oh, do you do, have a day off? Do we have days off? <laughs> I know. As musicians, you do not have a day off. You're always performing uh, or doing something. But if you do have a day off, what do you enjoy doing? Well, I think um, one of our greatest enjoyments is when we do get to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are truly what feel like days off. Um, being educators and church musicians, mm-hmm. you really don't have days off. Mm-hmm. But... You know, the staycation kinds of things. I always enjoy going to the movies. Oh, it's yeah. a real escape for me. And Keith never tires of going to hear a concert. Mm. Um, so I would say those are probably the things. Our boys have seen more um, of the old period movies and have them all memorized. <laughs> so they know Jane Austen almost by oh, heart. Yeah. <laughs> so Charlotte Bronte. Yes. Always entered into that Dickens, with us. So, but we also go see action movies. We mm-hmm. just saw we like the going to Avengers the theater and game and, to see plays. Yeah. And, and uh, managed to get to a couple operas mm-hmm. this summer. The the uh, spring, the, the woman who played Carmen came up to the university. Oh, we saw yeah. that. Yeah. 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 And she worked with our students and worked with Soren. So yeah. we were all excited and got some cheap tickets and were able to go and see yeah. hear her. And Great She was wonderful. And it was really powerful uh, because at the very end of her session, there were 20 students and they're watching her work with different people. And somebody asked the question, how did you handle getting going to the Metropolitan Opera at 19? Mm. And she said it was really, really hard. And, and then she said, I'm not sure what your worldview is, and I respect all different perspectives, but for me, it was my faith in God. Really? Mm-hmm. And she just spoke yeah. her faith to these young Wonderful. students, and yeah. I told her after how meaningful yeah. that was for all of them. Yeah, she so, was in a safe place to do that, but yeah. she didn't really realize it at the time. And yeah. she's the kind of person, within yeah. three minutes, anybody in the room would have done whatever she asked her, really? and by the yeah. end of it, we all wanted her to be our best friend. And yeah. she's just engaging, wow. positive yeah. personality. So that was really neat for them to see that. So those we enjoy doing those kinds yeah, of things. And on a rare occasion, we'll go take a walk on the beach or and take do a, a bike ride. Do a bike ride or go down to Balboa Park. We love mm-hmm. going to museums and mm-hmm. so same things for like date that. night. If you have a date night, you guys. It's often a movie. Night. It's often yeah. a movie. Yeah, 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 those kinds of things. Depending on what's what's yeah. what's coming out, and uh, we spend so much of our time either in the world of music or in the world of literature. Mm-hmm that it's sometimes reading isn't always for fun or even just, you know, listening to music in the background yeah, sure. is, um, is, isn't always for fun. It's work-related. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And your ears just get yes. tired of concentrated focus mm-hmm. listening sometimes, yes. so I like to escape listening to NPR or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, and I do love putting puzzles together. Oh, yeah. So at the holidays, we'll sometimes do that. And mm-hmm. yep. Playing games. We have family game nights sometimes. Fun. Soren Soren really loves family game nights. Kai endures them, <laughs> but he's the comic relief. So, yeah, yeah. and we like yeah. Bettina said, we love to travel and good travel partners. And we took the Point Loma Singers Chamber Choir to France in March, mm-hmm. and Bettina was there all the whole way and Fun. supporting and wonderful to share memories like that as good, well. Yeah. Good. You guys have traveled a ton. Do you have any favorite city or country or experience that you want to share? Mm, well, England is my heart home. Oh. So I love being with John and Caroline in their little village, hmm. Shrawley, and staying in their old Elizabethan Inn home now. But anywhere in England or the British Isles, I, I love and adore. But Paris is amazing. Oh, and yes. 
Keith, yeah. you fell in love with Venice this last fall. When we took summer. the church choir last summer to Italy, um, I'd never been. I was always embarrassed to say that I'd spent that much time in Europe and I'd had ten trips, but never been to Italy. Oh, never been to Italy, Italy at all. Oh, and I teach okay. so much because so much of music history came out of Italy. Mm-hmm. And I teach so much about these places. And so the church choir uh, went last year, and we had a chance to go through it. And at the very last day, the the tour guide that we had with us the whole time, we were walking through Florence and saying, she said, Keith, what's your, been your favorite place so far? And I said, whatever place I'm in. <laughs> because I just think this can't get any better, and the next place I go to is just so stunning in terms of history or mm-hmm. culture or beauty or art or architecture. And you're in these places. We stumbled when we were in Venice. We just stumbled into a church, and we were looking at it for other reasons. And then the, the tour guides didn't even mention it, but found out that Monteverdi was buried there. And I saw Monteverdi's grave, and he's basically <laughs> the guy who invented opera as we know it. And I sing his madrigals, mm-hmm. one of the, the most mm-hmm. uh, critical musicians in the transition between Revo- Re- Renaissance and Baroque, which may not mean a whole lot to other people, but I get excited about right. that. Yeah, stuff. and sure. these are the teacher. weird things that we love to go sleuth out. Mm-hmm. And on sabbatical, we took our sons to so many graves and so many cathedrals and so many abbeys and so many <laughs> ruins. By the time it got to Christmas and we said, do you want to go see Gloucester Cathedral? They said, I don't want to see another cathedral. I don't want to see another <laughs> castle. I don't want to see another, another abbey. I don't want to see another museum. <laughs> I just want to stay at John and Caroline's and watch, uh, what was it, Miss Doctor Who. Doctor Who. <laughs> watch Doctor Who. So they still haven't seen years. Gloucester Cathedral, but yeah. oh well. Yeah, pretty typical for that age. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They were so, good travelers. Yes, definitely. So as musicians, what do you listen to in the car? Well, this is very odd because this is um, one of Keith's great uh, gifts of patience to me. I am not a music listener because I think my mind is so active that if I have music on, it interrupts my stream of thought. Mm -hmm. And if I want to listen to music, then I want to really listen to music. So I don't listen to music. Um, Most of what I listen to in the car is NPR. Mm -hmm. Um, if I do listen to music, my number one choice would probably be Bach. Mm. So at home, I might say sometimes, Alexa, play music from Johann Sebastian yes, Bach. Yes. Um, and if they ever come home and I've been home by myself and they hear music on, it's kind of like, whoa, <laughs> what happened? Yeah. I will listen to Christmas carols. I will put Christmas carol music mm. on. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I am not a, a music listener. I don't like earbuds. I yes. don't. I never listen to music that way. and So we have two very different responses to that question. Yes. And a lot of times he defers to me because when we're in the same space together, I have a pretty low tolerance for noise. I'm kind of noise sensitive, mm-hmm. so I love silence. Mm-hmm. That's my answer. When Bettina <laughs> goes shopping and I'm left at home to do some work or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> goes shopping? Well. Like runs errands. Yeah, that's, that's, like a, better grocery shopping. Shopping. that's a better term. It's She's not, not like, hanging at the mall. No, no I'm no, not a shopper. She's not a mall hanger. Uh, when she runs errands um, and buys things for the family. Sure. Um, or if I have a day, like during the summer when I'm working at home, but she's teaching, teaching summer, summer school. school. Sure. Um, I'll put on uh, a station that does jazz standards, mm-hmm. swinging standards, um, solo music mostly. But through my work in vocal jazz over the last 17 years at the university, I've really developed an interest and a love for jazz. Mm. 
jazz music, which was not there when I was a, uh, a high school student. I was a rock and roll guy and enjoyed Kansas and enjoyed uh, a lot of the bands from back in those days, uh, the uh, Eagles and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, And I listened to the Carpenters. Oh, yeah. Yes. So once I got married, there wasn't a lot of room for the Eagles and Kansas and other Just groups Just on like road that. trips. And in Canada, it was Bachman Turner Overdrive, if anybody remembers yes. that group. So, um, but I've uh, enjoyed uh, listening to vocal to, to jazz, uh, vocal jazz groups as well, and uh, but then sometimes I've got a large collection, of course, of classically oriented mm. choral music primarily because that's my field, and uh, I love listening to that as well. Um, and I'll listen to a little sometimes if I really want to clear my mind on the way home after rehearsal. I'll listen to a little bit of country western, oh, or I love it. I'll listen to uh, <laughs> you know a pop station. <laughs> and one of the projects I do in my in- intro to music classes is all the students have to come in and make a presentation and share uh, with their classmates a piece they would take to a desert island if they had, could take one piece. What, what would they would take? Be? So every semester I teach that class, I get introduced to forty or fifty different pieces of contemporary popular music usually that uh, I may not know about. So, uh, And then everybody, well, once in a while someone brings in you know, something from the, their mom and dad love, and yes. so um, I'll hear that piece. Then oh, I remember that. Thanks a lot for yeah, yeah. sharing the Beatles yeah. with me or whatever yeah. it is. But one compromise we, we've always made is if we're putting up Christmas decorations or doing work around the house, Keith will say, you know, okay, while we're vacuuming or cleaning up or yeah. putting, you know, stuff away, whatever, can I play some Yes, you know, or Eagles or Bachman Turner Overdrive or whatever yeah. it is that happens Doobie to be. Brothers. Doobie, Doobie Brothers. So Doobie we'll Brothers. So we'll Doobie put Brothers that is on my house that, cleaning music. Those times, yeah. you know, she and, wants me to get work done quickly. Yeah, that's that'll good work. Stuff. Until my noise tolerance meter gets full and then I'll say, I can't handle anymore. you got to turn it off. <laughs> that's so fun. <laughs> and Christmas, putting up Christmas decorations isn't Christmas decorations without listening to Karen Carpenter. Well, that's right. Yeah. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. That's okay. So and and it's interesting, the music that means something to you as you get older are those mu- is that music that you listen to mm-hmm. when you're a child mm-hmm. and you get to associate memories with. Mm-hmm. And if you re- listen to it repeatedly, so often students will come in and I'll say, why, do you cho- why did you choose this piece? Well, I can always remember listening to this in the car with my dad when he was driving me places and he'd, he'd play this song yeah. or my mom mm-hmm. would play this yeah. and we'd sing to it on family vacations. Yeah, and even if it's older music or whatever – the the music assumes a meaning because you associate it with such yeah. wonderful memories. Mm-hmm. So we've always thought, okay, we're going to have our boys have this listening in the background mm-hmm. and yes. as something that they enjoy. And when they hear it, they go, oh, that takes me back to Good remember stuff. mom mm-hmm. and dad. That's right. That's right. I remember listening to my mother sing hymns in church, oh, yes. standing next to her, and just being in awe that she knew all the words by heart. Mm. Um, and wondering how did how is that possible? Mm-hmm. And now I've sung the hymns enough decades that I know how it's possible. Yes. I have them all memorized too. Yes. But uh, yeah, those associations with family and music are powerful. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. It is. All right. One final question: If you could perform anywhere, where would it be, and what would you perform? That's probably a hard question. Oh boy! <laughs> anywhere, like any stage. Any stage. Well, you for don't me, have to ask permission. for me, it would be okay. in some cathedral in mm-hmm. England, and it would either be English choir music or one of two pieces: Bach Magnificat 
or Mozart Requiem? Mozart's Requiem. And for me, if you were to describe my okay, I'm ready to go now moment, mm-hmm. I can I can now leave this earth mm-hmm. moment. I think it would be conducting the Brahms Requiem with a full orchestra and professional choir at the BBC Proms oh. and Royal mm-hmm. I think it's Royal Albert Hall in London. Because yes, that's cool. such an incredible stage mm-hmm. and storied history building. Um, and we just conducted we just performed it here at the church mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And it's always been one of my favorite pieces. Bach is my favorite composer, and so the Magnificat or the mm-hmm. B minor Mass is something I'd always love Excuse to me. do. But the Brahms Requiem is so powerful emotionally mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. spiritually, the mm-hmm. message of hope and peace and comfort behind it, and also joy and expectation and faith um, that uh, is captured in all that music. Um, it's a massive work, and to be able to conduct that, mm-hmm. um, always, I'll always... For about 15 years, I've thought, for my final orchestra choir concert, mm-hmm. I want to do the Brahms Requiem. Wow, wow. And if I couldn't do it there, I chose that because it's overseas and be kind of fun. But, uh, right. of course, Carnegie Hall or one of those major stages mm-hmm. on the East Coast, that would be fun as well. Yes, yes. Very cool. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Well, thank you guys so much for taking some time to hang out with me today. and. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for inviting us. And your service. And and it's so nice to have um, a a choir that's so unified and under your leadership um, is so happy. They're Mm. so happy. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And you work so well with the staff and with my husband, and and we appreciate that so much. We love you. Yes. It's been a blessing to be here, to be at a place where. You know, everybody wants to find a place where their talents are appreciated and yes. valued, um, and, and where, where you, you can feel, serve. Like, yeah, you can serve yes. and feel like people like what I do. Yes. And not that it's always perfect, but um, it's just a joy to be able to lead God's people into uh, worship and an experience of God or a praise of God, um, and to share music that people find meaningful, either in the audience or the choir, and be part of a team. And to work on a staff that's so supportive, and working with your husband's a joy because he he never you know he never has uh, um, some pastors get really uh, micromanaging. Yes. And yeah. and Paul is just as long as things are going well, he's just very happy to let uh, Ron and I play. Yes. <laughs> so which is great. most of the time we're just playing and having fun. And, and use that's your strengths. Things work yeah. out the best. Yeah, yeah. it's just it been is. really really great. <laughs> So and we appreciate you too, Shannon. Yeah, thank, thank you for you. the time today. Yes, yes. Thank you, Keith and Bettina, for joining me on the LJPC Conversations podcast. And thank you to everyone for listening. Please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. This podcast has been produced by me, Shannon Cunningham, and our wonderful director of communications, Jim Cedric. <laughs>